So, Michelle. David. Look at that. We've done it. We've sort of streamlined the entire thing. I know. All right. Thanks um, for pointing it out. We made a promise. We did make a promise. Last week we said we we're going to talk about the Houthis. And what a week it has been. Oh, well, I've got to say the whole thing about that young boy that was enticed by the AFP into becoming a member of ISIS. I want to talk about that, but not today. There's reviews and inquiries going on. We'll leave that hang. But for now, I want to talk about Houthis. Because there's a lot going on with the Houthis in the Red Sea. It's insane. It is insane. Now, I think the best way to do this is we're going to break it down into little bits. Yep. uh, Bite-sized chunks. Bite-sized chunks, kind of, in that let's have a look at who they are. Uh, what the history of Yemen where is, they came from. where they came from, where they're going, who's helping them, who's against them. It's a crazy little story that everyone's going to enjoy. It's a crazy little story. Can't wait. You're listening to I Spy, the choke point of Australian intelligence. That's just... No, you go to left. I'll go. No, uh, just okay, wait. No, but, I'll go. No. Okay, stop. About, wait. No, I'll uh, just. If I go if this I, way and you. No, but. Stop. Wait. Can you just. Someone's no, shooting but, at us. We need to get no, out of this doorway. No, I can't get. Shoot, red, but. Duck. Oh. Hello and welcome to I Spied. My name's Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan and I have to say we're talking about Houthis and it's been quite a week. Yeah. Yeah. They've been busy. Yeah, they have been really busy. And also the US has been busy trying to contain them. Exactly. And and this, the whole thing is we've got to have a look at it in context. As you do with all of these things, it is a contextual thing. Uh, so a very quick history lesson to start with, right? The Houthi movement, mm. a.k.a. Ansar Allah, right? Mm. The supporters of God. Pretty simple name. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> They're an Islamist political military organization in Yemen. Now, yep. Yemen, for those of you who don't know, go on Google and put Yemen in. I did. Kind and- of the poor... Poor Middle Eastern country. (laughs) It is regarded as possibly the least developed nation on earth. Yes. Which is so hard for them because they're surrounded by wealth. Surrounded by some of the richest countries in the world. Now, the interesting thing about Yemen is it is 500,000 square kilometres. So it's smaller than New South Wales. It has a population of about 34 million. Right. So they'd love to have sex over there. <laughs> you got nothing else to do. Uh, right. So essentially, it's at the very bottom of the mm. Arabian Peninsula. It's the second largest country in the Arabian Peninsula, but it is also the dirt poorest. Yes. Now, with the Houthi movement, they were formed in the 90s as opposition to the then president, Ali Abdullah Saleh, mm-hmm. who they regarded as corrupt and in league with Saudi Arabia and the USA. So they basically decided, we're going to fight this guy. We're going to bring him to task. We're going to yep. stop this corruption and all that yep. stuff. Now, the thing about the Houthi is they come from pretty much one tribe. Yes. The Houthi tribe, the yes. Houthi family are their leaders. Because we've got to remember as well, a lot of these Middle Eastern countries were before, you know, oil and stuff were discovered, which wasn't that long ago, mm. they were all nomadic tribes people. Yeah, they were Bedouins. So they were Bedouins. So this is, a lot of this stuff is quite recent, them having to deal with, you know, global politics yeah. and, and other countries trying to have their fingers in their pies. Well, let's look at Yemen. Yemen was, it's a predominantly Sunni nation. Mm. This is going to come in important. It's been in a civil war since about 2014. Now, yep. the thing is, Yemen didn't exist until 1967. Yeah. And then it was the only communist country in the Arabian Peninsula, in the Middle East. And gee, it did them well, didn't it? It really worked for them. <laughs> uh, so they made the leap across to yep. capitalism in 1990. And it didn't make 
make any difference. No. Right? The big problem is is it's so fractious. Yeah. Uh, currently, at the moment, the civil war that's been running since 2014, they have your pro-Hardy. Now, Hardy is the former president, mm. uh, and he's regarded as the legitimate president, I think. I'm unsure at the moment. It's really difficult because, essentially, civil war broke out. Uh, the Houthis overthrew the government. Yep. They took over the, the capital, which is Sana, mm. and then made that started taking over the southern provinces. The Houthis come from the northern provinces. They started taking over the southern provinces, made the, their way all the way down to Aden on the coast of the Red Sea, and they forced President Hardy to flee the country. Yep. Now, they hold North Yemen and Sana'a, which is the capital, but essentially- Saudi you, Arabia had to get involved, basically. It was what, going, they were continuing yep. it on their merry way to taking over Yemen, and yep. Saudi Arabia said, well, hang on, we can't have this. Yeah, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Yep. Because we're yep. Sunni- and yep. the Houthis are their Zaidi Shia, yep. which, funnily enough, Zaidi Shia are very close to about as close to Sunni as you can get. Still be Shia, mm. but they hate the Sunnis because the Sunnis in Saudi Arabia are Wahhabist Sunnis. So again, it breaks down into all these different. And sects. the Houthis are supported by Iran. Houthis are so supported by Iran, but here's the thing: you also have the Southern separatists. So yep. you've got the Southern separatists down the bottom. They're being supported by the United Arab Emirates. Yep. Then you've got Al Qaeda on the Arabian Peninsula. Mm. They're in there as well. You also have Islamic State in there and, of course, the Houthis. So basically, Yemen is just a hot pot of terrorism. It's as as we said last week, there was that great meme that said, which Yemen do I hate today? Yeah. So this is the big problem is you've got the Houthis over there. Now, here's the thing. Let's get down to their slogan because that will really help everyone to yeah, understand what it means. Yep. Uh, everyone strap in. You're probably going to be very surprised by this, but this is what their slogan is. Death to all Westerners. <laughs> Not quite, but here we go. God is the greatest, death to America, death to Israel, a curse upon the Jews, victory to Islam. I, so, mean, you know, that, I mean, I can see that on T-shirts. That would sell so well. Not a lot of grey areas. No. In fact, the Houthi flag is that slogan. All of that Arabic on that flag, that's what it says. But they've, they've essentially turned themselves into pirates at the moment with what's going on. Yeah, but let's be honest, they're extremely well-armed pirates. Yes, because Iran. Yeah, Iran. <laughs> now, let's get into Iran because Iran's- I'd rather not get into it, but well, yeah, I'll, well, I'll look at it from the sidelines. We'll we'll talk about that as well because yeah. it's important. Can I just say yeah. that the Middle East to yep. me, I look at it all and I read about it all the time and yeah. I'm like, it's like Twitter. Yeah. I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> yes. Ladies and gentlemen, the Middle East, the Twitter of the globe. Totally. Um, but a lot of angry people. The problem is they don't get listened to, right? All of these different factions don't get listened many. to. They get very angry and they start ripping yes. it up. Now, the, if we go back to Lawrence of Arabia, back mm-hmm. in, you know, back in post-World War One. He actually had a solution that would have worked. He was basically creating an Arab League and basically they were going to find a way to make this all work. But the French and the British went, no, we want the oil and we're going to chop it up so we get our share of oil. Right. And we're going to make the Sauds the rulers of Saudi Arabia. We're going to make this person the ruler of Iran. We're going to make this person the ruler of Iraq. And basically they chopped it up in such a way that it makes no sense. We haven't even touched on the Kurds. And the Kurdish nation is massive 
But there is no Kurdish nation but anymore. But anyway, let's just focus because Middle East, we can just get bogged down into like all of what is going oh, on and we just want to yeah. focus on yeah, the yeah, Houthis. Yeah, yeah. So um, the Houthis are really mad because Israel is bombing Palestine and so they've decided to essentially fuck with every nation. But they started with just saying that they will only fuck with Israeli Israel. ships, anything that's going to serve Israel yep. and all that business. But yep. somehow it's bled into any other ship that's going in the Red Sea or through the Suez Canal. And so now you've got England, English ships, and then they're saying England because, yep. you know, they're getting involved yep. and we don't we don't like England now. And then, of course, the Americans, and that's when the Americans just went, hang on a minute. Right, okay. Before we go any further, because I want to break that down, mm. but what I want to do first is I just want to set the, the tone for where Iran is coming from. All right, so essentially, as you said, Yemen is a proxy war between the Sauds and Iran, mm. all right? Now, the IRGC would almost definitely have advisors and trainers on the ground in there. In fact, it's the arm of the IRGC, the Islamic Republican Guard yep. Corps, is called QUD, Q-U-D or Q-O-D, depending on who spells it. And essentially, QUD is the foreign operations arm, and it basically gives Iran the ability to of plausible denial, right? So essentially they've been arming the Houthis since 2010 with drones, ballistic missiles, anti-ship missiles, mm. short-range missiles, lots of missiles. Yep. Um, and, of course, here's the one we didn't talk about, limpet mines, where you'll basically have a diver swim out to a ship, plop the mine on the side and detonate it and not even swim away, just pop it mm. off, right? And this is not unheard of in Yemen. Of course, there was the attack on the USS Cole in Aden. Now, that was Al-Qaeda. But essentially, these guys are all working together because of what the Iranians are calling the axis of resistance. Now, that includes Iran, Syria, Hezbollah, Hamas, Houthi, and all of the Iraqi militias that are trying to kick the US out of Iraq. Mm. There we have it. The US is in the Arabian Peninsula and they want them gone. Well, I mean, that's a, that's been an issue for every single – well, what they claim has been the issue. And mm. look, I mean, without the US, a lot of these countries wouldn't have the wealth that they have. So mm -hmm. I'm it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Yeah, definitely. Oh, to totally. But here's the thing as well that's really interesting. Since the assassination of Suleiman, I think his name was, who was the head of Kud, right, or he was killed – what was it? That was the one where <laughs> – I think it was the one where Trump got up and went, he died like a dog, a very beautiful dog, right? Mm -hmm. No one thanks me, but here we are, right? So Is he, he the one that got like sliced up by a drone? Yeah, he was one of the yep. guys. That, no, it was, yeah, it was the nuclear scientist that was killed by the remote gun. Wasn't there one who was like out on the balcony and the no, drone came was, in and sliced him up? No, that was the head or deputy head of the oh. Taliban. No, but it was the same thing. Yep. It was one of those yep. um, slice and dice. Slicey drones. Yeah, um, it slices, it dices, it's Julianne's yeah. attack drone. It's uh, But the, the thing, the reason why they use those drones is they're very specific on their targets and oh, yeah. so it it kind of stops any kind of bleed out. So Collateral you know, damage. And there's no collateral damage. Yeah. Now, the thing is, Suleiman was killed by Israel, technically, but it was pretty much US tech. But the whole thing was his replacement does not have the cachet that Suleiman mm. had. So Kud is actually getting somewhat marginalized by the imams mm. uh, within Iran. So while it's still supplying the Houthis, Hezbollah, the Iraqi militias, all of these other people, 
What's really interesting is as retired Marine General Frank McKenzie, he did an interview recently, and I'm going to put that on Twitter because it's brilliant, but Mm. basically he said that there's no mother may I left. These groups, Hezbollah, the Houthis, they're not actually turning around to Iran and going, can we do this? They're doing it. Mm. And then, you know, it's that classic thing, it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. So it started with the Houthis attacking Israel. They were firing drones and missiles at Israel. The problem is Israel has an extremely good anti-aircraft or anti-missile tech Mm. to take care of it. Nothing hit. They missed everything. So what do you do? You're not going to get success trying to hit Israel. Let's turn our guns onto the Red Sea and the streets of Bab el-Mandab, which is known as the Gates of Grief or the Gates of Tears. It's a tiny little choke point in the Red Sea between the Gulf of Aden and the Red Sea that is 26 kilometres wide at its narrowest point. And within that choke point, there are only two canals for the ships to move through, which are three kilometres wide each. So you know where these ships are going to be. Funnily enough, the Houthis aren't hitting them, mainly because they've got the missiles, but they don't have the targeting equipment or their intelligence is bad. Now, There is word, there's intelligence coming out now that the IRGC are on the ground in Yemen and they're mainly drone operators or operators that are training the Houthi Mm. drone operators. So you can expect more drone attacks on shipping, but also possibly people that are going to upgrade their missile tech. Well, but I also think now the Americans and the English, I mean, they've all kind of come in and said, well, Mm -hmm. hang on a minute, this is a bit of a problem. Saudi Arabia, of course, wants to kind of rein them in as well. Yeah, of course. Um, So why don't we look at a bit more of that and the logistics of what is happening. And what we can do. And what we can do after this break. Sure. Okay, so we're back. So yep. we're, we're talking about the Houthis and we're talking about the logistics around basically what they're attacking and what that means for everyday people like us. For us in mm. Australia, it's not actually that bad. Well, I mean, there are a few things oh. that, you know, aren't getting through. So it means like things like I think Suzuki, um, yep. oil, BP, like yep. a lot of those. Well, our oil actually comes from Singapore. We, we uh, also have no oil reserves. We should mention that. Yeah, well, I think we do, but we just don't think very them low. Up. It's very low. It's yeah, very but low. The whole thing is our oil comes from Singapore because that's where we, we refine it. We don't have a refinery here anymore, which is kind of stupid. We should have one. Of course, we've got that oil reserve that Angus Taylor bought that's over in America. Yeah, because <sighs> it's so close. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a very long hose. And if the Americans ran out, of course they wouldn't touch it. Oh, no, no, no. They wouldn't touch that at all. So anyway, our oil comes from Singapore. Mm. That oil comes most likely from, I think, I think pretty certainly, it comes from the Gulf. Yeah. But, of course, that's not an issue for us. If Yemen do strike at the Straits of Hormuz, you probably, which is the Persian Gulf, you probably have Iran going, okay, boys, settle down because yeah. we've got to get our stuff out as yeah. well, right? So they're not going to mess around with the Straits of Hormuz. So the oil is getting out, but it's got to go around the long way. The Cape South of Good America. Hope. Right. No, not South America. It goes I around. said South Africa. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. But you- I think you. Or maybe I went to say South Africa and then you spoke over me and I got confused and went America, but I meant South Africa. Leave that in. It's all just perfect. No. (laughs) (laughs) South Africa, fucker. Go. So essentially it's – the problem is it's Europe and America that are suffering, right, because everything's got to go through Suez and then through the Med and then out either across the Atlantic or up 
the Atlantic and into Europe. So that's a problem for us. Yeah, we're, we've got some minor things going on with us, but well, really- I mean, on the good news, IKEA said it's not affecting them because they've got enough stuff backed oh, up. Thank God I can go and buy a flat pack table, <laughs> right? Because yeah. I do that every week. Yeah. Now, the thing for Iran is this is an extremely economic way for them to wage war. Yeah. Right. Now, they're not in any, in any but way. But no, not really. I mean, who are they really affecting? Some of the glo- big global companies, but mm-hmm. they're not really affecting like England or America. Oh, yes, they I are. mean, they are, but like economically, I don't think it's. Oh, yes, it is. Right. In what it, way? Well, oil is now more expensive. You may right. notice that the petrol pump oil has gone up because, unfortunately, we work on a benchmark for oil price, which I think is Brent crude, which is Texan oil. Our oil has been expensive for a while. Oh, it's always expensive. We know that. But it's even more expensive now, mainly because because of that supply chain I think oil went down, issue, it Look, oil goes up and down. At the moment, <laughs> like, it's up. But because of the supply chain, it may be cheaper here, but it's going to be more expensive there because you're adding costs. Now, at the moment, a lot of companies are saying it doesn't really add that much cost yet because all of our contracts are locked in. But as soon as those contracts go, as soon as it comes, their transport comes off contract, that'll be renegotiated. You'll see more price hikes. Mm. The problem is things trying to get material from China to Europe via the ocean, which is the quickest way to do it, right? The problem with that is that's where it's – it becomes an issue when you're trying to get parts like Tesla have shut down their factories in Germany. Oh, no. Oh, no. Because they can't get material like yeah. parts that are made in China. I mean, through. if you're pissing off Elon, you he'll go, just go I mean, on Twitter and be rude to you. I know. And, and pull all his Starlink. And won't let you go onto Grok or whatever that AI is. Anyway, so that's one of the things is we do have this issue of it's affecting global economics, mm. right? Which is great because it. You know, Houthis are the poorest nation on the well, – not Houthi. The Yemens are the poorest nation on the planet. The Houthis don't care if everyone else takes a hit because yeah. they've been taking it for a long, long time. Well, they're just sad they don't have the money that their neighbours have. Exactly. Now, as I said, the Houthi success is – they've had varied success. They're certainly attracting attention and they've certainly curtailed transit through the Suez. Mm. But it hasn't stopped it. And, no. of course, it's drawing a lot of heat as the Americans and their coalition forces, whoever that is at the moment, because it keeps changing, keeps moving in. Now, as we said, and it's very widely known, Australia sent 16 military personnel over there. Oh, 16. Probably all intelligence and analysis, mm. maybe operators, but nothing – when I say operators, I don't mean special forces. I mean people that can operate, say, air traffic control and things like that. We don't need to be there. So whenever somebody gets up and says it's terrible that Australia haven't sent personnel, I don't think it is. I actually think it's a good thing simply because we don't need to be there. We've got other fish to fry and it doesn't really affect us. And as people say, if Europe's the one struggling with this, Europe needs to be the one that solves this. Yeah, and I think the biggest concern for the Americans is the possibility that they're they're getting brought back into a war in the Middle East. Here we go. This is where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. And this is a great thing about the interview with General Frank McKenzie is yep. he's very, very open and very honest about what he regards as his analysis for it. A couple of things is what's the end game here? What result does America want out of this? Well, they're trying to stabilise the Middle East by keeping Israel in power because a, a strong Israel will keep a stabilised Middle East. Yes and no. One of the big problems was we go back to the- Well, because they have a great relationship with them, so they're, they're going to keep it well, stabilised. They, they want Israel in, in position because mm. that gives them a really strong stake at the table. The big problem Which is, is we've I got to go said. back to the original or the second Gulf <laughs> yeah. War, right, when they took Saddam 
Hussein out. And look, right or wrong, the guy had to go. He was a nutbag. But the problem is they left a massive power vacuum, which allowed Iran to ascend. Yeah. Right? That was a huge check. The trouble is when they, as soon as they they fuck with any kind of leadership in that region, yep. you, you get rid of one, another one's going to come up and it's going to be a, an even worse problem. Sometimes it's better the devil you know. Yeah, exactly. And that was the thing with Saddam Hussein was like, like George H.W. Bush left mm. him in power because I didn't have a mandate to do anything mm. about it. But also- But also it's not their job to I, do anything. Exactly. Now, the interesting thing about this is what is America's end game? If they don't have an end game, then this is just pointless. Biden has said he wants to de-escalate. There's a really simple way to de-escalate. Yep. You just leave. Yeah. Just get out. And let, them, let themselves sort themselves out. The unfortunate thing is the world runs on oil and most of it's there. Yeah. So that could become a major crisis. The other thing is, as I said, it's a very economic way for Iran to fight a war yeah. because Iran's not threatened by anything. They have proxies in Hezbollah, not quite so much Hezbollah at the moment, but certainly Hamas, the Houthis and the Islamic militias in Iraq. These guys are operating and attacking and wounding and killing U.S. personnel, right? What is it? Something like 180 attacks since October. But Iran aren't getting hurt in any way. And it's a point that Mackenzie brings up is Iran needs to know that this is going to cost them. Mm. And sanctions don't seem to work very well. So the three most important things to Iran are the maintaining the theocratic regime, right? Keeping the imams yeah. in power, right? The second one is the destruction of Israel. Well, at the moment, that's not going to happen anytime soon. And number three is to get the US out of the Middle East. Well, I just think if they didn't want the US in the Middle East, they should have just left Israel alone. Well, they didn't. It wasn't them. It was Hamas. Well, but again, but sh- we know it's we know that the they proxy. had they were they were pretty much across what was going on there. Their fingerprints are upon it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So this is the thing. Now, one of the things is. The Iranians aren't getting hurt in this at all. There is a risk that because they have advisors and trainers in Yemen with the US and the British striking Houthi assets, if they kill an Iranian, the Iranians are going to get uppity. Well, I mean, they did fire on some Iranian targets, did they not, after the drone attack that killed three um, US service men and women? Yes, they did. But what was the result of that attack? Oh, it was it was more um, a bluster. Yeah, there was, right. It was more to say, hey, we can do this. Hey, we can do this. The yeah. thing is, at some point, the US will have to bloody Iran's nose in some way to make Iran understand that, all right, if you want to play this game, you're going to have to yep. actually ante up. The problem is nobody wants to do that to Iran right now. No one does because right. we don't want to start a war. We don't want another war in the Middle East. But why do you think Iran's doing it? Because surely they know that a war is inevitable if they keep poking the bear. Because at the moment, the bear ain't moving. The bear is only- But like, if you keep poking it, it's going to it's gonna get up. Is it? I mean, they could literally just keep poking, poking, poking the bear. And if Biden falls over at the next election and Trump gets Which in, Trump, Trump I mean, could, he'll, I thought you meant he'll fall over. Yeah, he'll probably fall over he'll, and he might not like, get in. If Trump gets back into the White House, all bets are off. Quite simply, all bets are off. Oh, no, he'll start, start a war. Well, according to him, he won't start anything. He's, he'll just be a dictator for day one and just a day. All oh, right. my God, let's not get into that. Yeah. So the big issue right now is America does is kind of hamstrung in what mm. it can do. Right, it's either got to go. It's got to escalate, and if it escalates, you're in a war. Right? Yeah, pure and simple. And one of the things is, if they escalate and attack Iran, there's a very good chance that Hezbollah will go. Okay, if you're going to play that game, 
we're going to start a war on the northern border of Israel. But Saudi Arabia is also sitting there and they don't want a war and they're, they would be more aligned to what the Americans oh, are thinking. Oh, they'd definitely Israel. be aligned to the US. Now, the interesting thing about Hezbollah is it's now regarded as the largest military organisation that is not a country in the world, right? So Hezbollah is no longer just some, you know, backwards mm. guys with a couple of Kalashnikovs and a few bomb vests. Yeah. These guys have invested quite seriously, thanks very much, Iran, in some serious kit, right? So Iran has, over the period, over the last 20 years, 25 years, have really managed to spread their tentacles out into the Middle East and set up a lot of proxy fighters yeah. that could cause major issues for the more democratic <laughs> Saudi Arabia. <laughs> I know. It's kind of, it's such a weird, like I feel like I'm in like this twilight zone mm. when Saudi Arabia is sane. Saudi Arabia are the good guys. Yeah. 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 Like it's weird. But here's the thing. You can have a situation where there are no good actors. No, I mean, and also um, we're just watching um, all the James Bond movies with Daniel Craig, with Daniel Craig in mm. it because my son is like now well into them. Mm. So we're going through them all, which has been great because I forgot how great they are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I just did that over Christmas. And one of the ones, one of the things that the uh, the CIA agent said last night when we are watching, he said, you know, they're all bad. We've just got to pick the, the, the least, the least bad, bad actor. Yeah. Now, Here's an interesting point that's also come in, and having read and watched the interview of General McKenzie, it did suddenly make me think there's one other option that America has that they aren't doing, and that's active measures, what the Russians call active measures, actually going into Iran and interfering with their political situation. Because what is the number one thing they want? They want to keep the theocratic regime in power. Mm. Now, Iran internally is quite unstable. They've had all of these protests. They've had the women walking around knocking imams' hats off and not wearing veils and all yeah. of those sort of, you know, the thought police kind of thing. What is it? The the Ministry of Religion police that are going out and yeah. punishing people for not wearing their hijab. Here's the thing. If America could get, the, could get their intelligence game on in Iran, that would change the game. The problem is the CIA are universally shit when it comes to Iran. They've had more of their spies captured, exposed, imprisoned, and executed through sheer bad management, through negligence. They had one guy that that he was an engineer that was passing on information on the nuclear program that Iran was running. They went, well, come to see us in Ankara, in Turkey. That's where you can do your handoff of your intelligence. Unfortunately, they were sending him to a location that was under Iranian surveillance. So the Iranians went, oh, well, we know who's telling the US that, right? So the unfortunate thing is if they lifted their intelligence game in Iran, they could do some real damage. Unfortunately, they don't know how. Now, I'm reading a book which I think is it's all very similar and it has a lot to do with kind of this area that we're talking about. And it's it's written by an Australian author, Terry Hayes, The Year of the Locust. I don't know if you've read it. No, I haven't. It's a fantastic read and it's about a denied access area spy for the CIA. And it looks at um, this kind of idea of, you know, terrorism, hotbeds and having to get into Iran and what would happen mm. if they needed to bomb, you know, places in Iran and what what that would what that would do and, and kind of the global pol- political fallout from it. So oh, I would highly recommend this book. Well, I'm gonna, it, I'm, yeah. I, I will find it on audiobooks because as I've told you, I don't read anymore because I read... 
read too much for, for this. So generally I listen well, this, to everything. Well, this book is so intense. I've had to take a break. Like it feels like five books in one. It's that intense, but it's very good. And it's it feels like it's almost written by someone who knows a lot of detail about what goes on. Oh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you do. I mean, the problem with the Middle East mm. is it's one of those Another one of those great global intractable problems. We don't know exactly what we can do to solve it. Yep. There are too many people. There are too many factions. There's too many sides that want their way or the highway. Yep. And when you deal with people that are dealing in black and white absolutes, you don't get any give and take. It's like Hamas have finally turned around through the Qatari government and gone, mm, ceasefire? Yeah. To which Netanyahu went, no, we're about to win, so why would we? Yeah. Right? So the fact that it becomes that point where, no, and also just the bad blood flowing. There's I mean, so much bad blood, but I just feel like can't they just forgive and forget? Can't we all just get along? Yeah, well, that's kind of communist. Uh- <laughs> well, it's also, it's, it's also like where nothing good is ever going to come from all of this anger. Conflict. There's right. too much conflict. Now, Can we there, just calm well, it down? Well, there is some good that's going to come from it. I mean, arms dealers are going to make an absolute fortune. And the intelligence are. world now has something else to do. Yeah. But the bottom line is this. Tell us the bottom line. The bottom line is this. Iran and Saudi Arabia are intractable foes, right? America's on the side of the Saudi Arabians yes. and on the side of Israel. Yes. And Iran cannot stomach it. They want to be the preeminent power in the Middle East. They are the old, like basically what's left of the old Persian Empire. Yeah. They want empire but again. They, they screwed the Persian Empire. Well, you know. The Persian, Persia used to be beautiful. Mm. I mean, Iran used to be the leader of like, they they had doctors, they had, they Science, had the most. Science, mathematics. Our mathemat- yes, you know. mathematics. Libraries there were yep. incredible. Yep. And then religion came in and just screwed it all up. Yeah, that whole idea that our fundamentalist principles trump your mm. scientific endeavours. And this is the issue we have is we're dealing with, I like to look at it as if you look at Christianity as being a mature religion, I really wouldn't, I mean, mature is not the right word, but, you know, Islam is kind of a bit like a a teenager. It's mm. still got a. It hasn't still gone, angry at life. It hasn't gone through its Renaissance and Reformation, no. right? And unfortunately, even you know what are meant to be enlightened religions. If you look at Christianity, oh my God, there are some basket cases within the Christian Church. Yeah, there are some absolutely batshit people in there. Yes, and it's that problem. And I think Charlie Pickering uh, summed it up brilliantly, where he said he the problem he has with fundamentalists is a little bit more fun, a little bit less demental, right? Yes. and I think that's a really good point is we are dealing with fundamentalist black and white absolutes. We're not dealing with people that are going to, they don't want to find a solution to the problem unless it's their solution. I think we need more solutions, less problems. Uh, I, I go for that. I think okay. more fun, less, less dementalist. Yep. Thanks, Charlie. 